All right, everybody. Well, if you don't know who I am, then what I did earlier is super awkward, although I introduced myself in the video, so I guess that worked out okay. Thank you all for being a part of that. Um, we'll, we'll post that online when we're ready so you can see it too and, and try to spot yourselves in the video. My name is Adam. For those of you that are new, I'm one of the pastors at First Free Church, and I'm so glad you're here joining us in the middle of this series called How to Neighbor. That's why we've been having interviews with people who are doing this in their community so you can kind of learn from them and just see what they're doing. And all of us can always learn new things from people. So it's been really great to have the interview with Kathy last week, or uh, yeah, Kathy, Kathy last week and Kathy this week. We had two Kathys. Wow. Do we have another Kathy for next week? That'd be perfect. I don't know. But it's been really great. And uh, what I want to do now is just to, to start off our service together. If we could just all pray together and ask God to teach us and bless us as we open his word, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be here together with other followers of you, eager to worship you and learn. And Lord, I pray that you would just use me as your mouthpiece this morning, that you would communicate your truth, maybe even things that I haven't thought about or intended, but that you would speak through me to prompt in people's hearts and minds and teach them what you have for them today, Lord. Teach all of us, help us to grow. And in your son's name I pray, amen. So the kids are all back in school now, right? How many of you are excited about that? Like, yes, they're gone, awesome. For those of you that have kids going back to school, you know that that can be an awesome time of year. It can be an emotional time of year. Everybody get your pictures in with the signs in front of your house and, you know, the going into this grade and all that stuff. And I know there's a certain point at which that's not cool anymore, but, I, you know, not everybody's there yet. It's, it's an emotional time, right? Because it's sort of the, the passing of another year. And so you watch them go off into a new grade and you're like, oh, wow, that whole season of life from that last year is gone. And now they enter a new year. And these are all milestones that we go through as parents, as our kids grow up and they just keep getting older. You know, they never get any younger. They can't just stay. There's a point at which you're like, this is pretty cool right now. Wish you could just stay there. But no, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, they're going to keep growing and getting older and growing. And it's just kind of a natural part of life. Our marriage conference speaker, who you saw earlier on the video, Kevin Lehman, he has this thing called the toilet paper treatment, which is a really, really neat tip. When you've got a teenager who is maybe not behaving the best way possible. He says to pull out 18 strips of 18 sheets of toilet paper, just a row of 18 sheets of toilet paper. It's called the toilet paper treatment. And you sit them down and you put out this row of toilet paper and you tear off the number of years that have already passed. So if it's 15 years, you tear off 15 sheets of toilet paper and you throw it away and you say, you see these three squares? This is all the time you have left in this prison. Now, <laughs> How do you want those years to go for you? It's the toilet paper treatment. He's got all kinds of neat tips like that to help us get through this growth journey with our kids. efree.org slash tickets, efree.org slash tickets. So, you know, our kids, they go through these milestones and they grow up and they, they become more mature over time, which of course we want to see happen. We want to guide them through that. And parents of young kids, is there any better feeling than when your baby finally sleeps through the night, right? Like that is a milestone where you're just, thank you, Jesus. Or when they can start to feed themselves and you don't have to just, here you go, you know, come on, you know, get it in there. And they can finally just put the food in front of them and then eventually they just devour it. You're like, yes, this is so much easier. I double the grocery bill, but it's so much easier. And, and then there's, there's that moment when they're finally potty trained. 
And it's like, oh, it's fantastic. I don't have to do that anymore. That's awesome. I know for me, one of the best things was when my son could finally open the car door and get in by himself and buckle himself in and reach out and close the door. And it just, you know, cut departure time in half. It was amazing. I love it. So we're still in that mode right now where our kids are kind of going through that progression. And and these are all the milestones on the path to maturity for them. And even if you don't have kids, you all had to go through these milestones, right? You have all had to go through these growth patterns in your life, these, these times where you've learned new things. And hopefully today, you are not the same person you were 10 years ago. Hopefully you've learned a few things along the way. How many of you, if you could go back in time, can think of something that you would love to go back and change if you could, right? I mean, who, who would, like, if I had a time machine, I would love to just go back and if I could do this one thing over again, because I know better now. I've learned more now. I'm at a different place now than I was back then. But we all understand that we are on this journey of growth, this journey toward maturity. And so there are certain things that we can expect of someone who's further along that journey than someone else. So there are certain things that you know better about now, but you didn't know back then. And so we wish we could go back and change it. Some of you probably beat yourself up over things you wish you had known then and done differently, but you've learned, you've grown, sometimes the hard way through mistakes, and now you're doing better now. There are certain things that we just don't expect people to be able to do earlier on in that journey. Like no one in their right mind is going to let a five-year-old drive on the highway on their own. That is not a good idea. We don't let 10-year-olds get married. That's a really bad idea. There's an age before you can vote and before you can join the military and before you can drink and all that stuff. Why? Because we just as a society recognize that there's a time in your life in that journey of growth where there are certain things that you're probably not going to be the most responsible for. And I know for some of us, we look at adults and think, you're still back there. You still should not be able to do those things. But there's this sort of growth pattern that we are on and Here's what I really want to challenge you with today. When it comes to our spiritual lives, it works the same way. None of us are there yet. We are all on this journey of spiritual growth as we learn to follow after Jesus, as God works individually with us. And where we are today is not where we were 10 years ago. And where we'll be in 10 years is hopefully different than where we are today. And we are on this growth journey as God continues to teach us and grow us. We're not there yet, and we're all at different places on this journey. Paul kind of talks about this a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. You see, even Paul was on this journey where he said, I'm not there yet. I don't have everything figured out. I have not arrived. He wasn't where he used to be, but he wasn't where he needed to be yet. And he recognized that, that he was on a journey and he wasn't done yet. And so in Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You see, there is this journey towards spiritual maturity that all of us who are followers of Jesus are on. And some of you are advancing quickly. Some of you are advancing slowly. 
Some of you may have stalled out a little bit. Some of you may have regressed a little bit. And that's the journey that we're on. Sometimes I wonder if God occasionally looks at me when I screw up the way I look at one of my kids when they sort of regress in their potty training. And now there's a mess on the floor and I'm still going to clean it up, but I'm like, come on. I mean, I thought we were past this, you know? And I wonder if God's just kind of like, come on, dude, I thought you were past this and now you're back to that old thing again? You know, we see that in scripture. We see that in, in the Bible sometimes where it's just like, you should be at a different point than this now. And now we've kind of got a mess to clean up. But then, of course, we, we take care of it and we keep working with them and we keep trying to help them to grow and improve and move beyond that as they grow. And that's kind of what God does with us. He keeps working with us. Even when we have challenges, even when we make mistakes, he continues to send influences into our lives and work to grow us through our times of Bible study and prayer to mature us as we submit to and work with him. So, what on earth does any of this have to do with neighboring? Why am I talking about this in our How to Neighbor series? Well, here's why. The title for today's message is Becoming the Neighbor God Wants You to Be. Becoming the Neighbor God Wants You to Be. And our main text for this morning is Luke chapter 10, picking up where we left off last week. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 38. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or use the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to Events and First Free Church. You'll find the scripture there. Or you can go to our website, efree.org Bible, and you can get all of this stuff there as well. Whatever you want to do, as long as you're reading the Bible with us, that's great. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. And here we go. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village. Now, that village we know from the Gospel of John was called Bethany. This is a place where if you're on our Israel trip next year, we're going to visit Bethany together. This is where Lazarus was raised from the dead. This is where Jesus was anointed with oil shortly before his death. And it's where Jesus and his disciples are traveling right now on their way to Jerusalem. They're heading there. It's just east of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives. So they came to this village, Bethany, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now, this is pretty incredible. You have to understand the culture at this time. Sitting at someone's feet today doesn't really mean a lot to us, but it meant a lot back then. Because if you were sitting at the feet of a rabbi, a master, a teacher, it meant that you were his pupil, you were his disciple, you were his student, you had entered into a special relationship with him where he was teaching and investing into your life and you were becoming like him so that you could be like him one day. That's the relationship of sitting at someone's feet. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was describing his own education, which was like the Ivy League of education for the Jewish world, he said, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a great Hebrew teacher. That's how he described his education, really high-end education. He says, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. This is a big deal. And this is not a place for women. This is not something a woman would normally do because Jesus is not just sitting here with Mary there. He's got his disciples all around him. In other words, she joined the men. She went in and she sat down right in with the guys. And Jesus is like, cool. 
Go for it. Everyone's welcome to be his disciple. There's no difference here. He's totally fine with it. So Mary is sitting down at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he taught. It's a special relationship here where she is becoming a student. She's being mentored by Jesus, just like the guy disciples were. It's a big deal. But, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her, now imagine this, she's, she's telling Jesus what to say here, tell her to come and help me. That's the attitude that Martha brings to this. Can't you picture this? Martha has been in the kitchen all day, slaving away, preparing this big dinner, doing all these things that she wants to do to serve her guests. She's being a good hostess. This is what's expected of her. In the Jewish culture at this time, a woman's value and and respectability revolved entirely around managing her household well and being a good hostess. This is what she was supposed to do. And she's getting all the food prepared and everything she's supposed to do that's expected of her. And as she's doing this, she's looking around and going, where's Mary? I thought I asked her to get the corn ready. Where is Mary? And she thinks to herself, who does she think she is? Over there hanging out with the guys when we're supposed to be getting dinner ready. I mean, doesn't she understand that the most important thing right now is for us to make sure that everything is perfect for our guests? Doesn't she get it that this is the most important thing in the world right now to have this whole dinner prepared and perfect for our guests? Let me ask you, how many of you can relate to that? Like before we have company over, we've got to make sure the house is pristine and the carpets are clean, and the walls are scrubbed, the dishes are put away, and there's definitely no toys lying around. The house has got to be just so for us to have company over, and as a result, what ultimately happens? We don't have company over very often because the house doesn't look that way very often, right? It's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be good. We've got to make a good impression. And so we don't have people over very often because when neighboring and inviting people into our home and being hospitable is such a chore, well, why would you do it very often? It's so much work. So we don't do it that often. See, Martha, (laughs) Martha takes pride in her home. Martha takes pride in her big dinner. And there's a certain amount of of healthy satisfaction and appreciation for a house that is well run and well managed. But sometimes we take it so far that we are so prideful about our house and how clean it is and we want to impress our guests and we want everything to be just right. And our motivation is actually one of pride instead of one of loving them and caring for them. Martha takes pride in her dinner. She takes pride in her hosting, in her home. And she does not understand why Mary does not take as much pride in this stuff as she does. Now let me do a quick poll. Okay, I'm gonna get you involved here a little bit. How many of you, 
if you were invited over to someone else's house for dinner, would not, it's very important, would not judge them if their house was a little bit messy, okay? How many of you would not, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't mean it, but you're invited to somebody's house and you would not judge them if their house was a little bit messy, okay? Just raise your hand, okay, all right, all right, look around, look around, okay, these are all the people that are okay to invite to your house. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. How many of you, this is, this is getting real honest here, how many of you, if you were invited to somebody's house and their house was a little bit messy, you'd actually appreciate it because your house is messy too and it shows the real people? Anybody like that out there? Like, oh, that was quick. Yeah, ooh, hands all over the place. You see, there's nothing to be afraid of. People really aren't that judgmental, at least the ones in this room. Verse 41, verse 41, Luke chapter 10. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, now, literally in the text, he says her name twice, Martha, Martha. And in that culture, that was a, a term of affection and gentleness. So this is a great translation. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Quit thinking every detail has to be perfect. Verse 42, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Everybody say one thing. One thing. Let's try that again. Everybody say one thing. There's one thing, just one thing worth being concerned about. He doesn't even tell us what it is. He says, Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Just let that sink in for a minute. This is Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, the Messiah, our Savior, and Jesus just said, hey, there is one thing that you need to pay attention to. There is one thing that you need to be concerned about, not all of this other stuff. Now look back at the passage. If you've got it open in front of you, look back at the passage, and what do you see about Martha? What characterized Martha as opposed to Mary? What was her attitude and her persona and her motivation all about at this point? I can think of three things. Three things. Martha was busy, she was distracted, and she was worried. She was busy with all the things she thought she was expected to do. She was distracted, making sure that everything was perfect by all the little details. And she was worried that she wasn't going to get it done on time. And as a result, she judged her sister for not being as busy, distracted, and worried as she was. Why doesn't she care about this stuff as much as I do? Now, those three words, they don't happen to describe any of us, do they? Busy, distracted, and worried. What kinds of things make us busy, distracted, and worried? I've got to get the kids to school, get the groceries, mow the lawn, clean the kitchen, scrub the walls, take the dog to the vet, go to the gym, meet with my book club, go to the PTA meeting, research that new grill that I want, do a little landscaping, fix the door that's squeaking, clean the bathrooms, shop for new clothes, get some printer ink, stop the kids from drawing on the walls, scrub the walls again, get Johnny to his baseball game, get Susie to her softball game, don't forget to make snacks for the whole team, we're low on some supplies, we gotta go get groceries again, we don't have everything we need, now we're out of toilet paper. We get that from Amazon. It'll be here in a couple of days. What do we do in the meantime for little Johnny? Here's some napkins from Chick-fil-A. 
You just do what you got to do. You got to pay the credit card bill. You got to pay the mortgage. You got to pay the electrical, electricity bill. You got to pay the, the gas bill and the phone bill. You've got to do all this different stuff. You've got you've to help Susie with her homework. Now, Johnny has a question about his. The car needs an oil change. The front porch needs a paint job. We're two weeks behind on that project for work. And some of you now have mental notes of things that I just reminded you you need to do. <laughs> and you should go ahead and write those down so you can focus on the message again. You see, we live very busy and distracted and worried lives with so many little details that we care so much about. And notice here that Jesus did not chastise Martha for wanting to be a good hostess. He didn't say you shouldn't be making a meal. He didn't say you should be sitting here at my feet. He just said, Mary has chosen something Mary has chosen something better. And what was it that Mary had chosen to do? What was the one thing that she had discovered that Jesus said, we can't take that away from her? It matters more than anything else. What was it? It was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, when we hear a phrase like that today, sitting at the feet of Jesus, it might actually make us think of sort of like spiritual kumbaya thoughts, like you're just sort of sitting near Jesus and basking in his spiritual glow, you know, some kind of almost a meditation-like thing or something like that. But what was she doing? What was Mary actually doing? She was in the posture of a learner, of a student, of someone who was absorbing teaching. She was sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching, just like the other disciples were doing engaging with what he was saying, listening to it and absorbing it and applying it. And as she's doing that, she's strengthening her relationship with Jesus as she's, she's spending time with him and learning how he wants her to live in her life. That's what it means to sit at Jesus' feet. It's not just to get close to him. It's not just about proximity. It's not just about warm, fuzzy spiritual feelings. It's about actually learning how Jesus wants us to live, sitting and listening to his teaching and letting it impact our lives. That's what she was doing. I want to draw a contrast here between Martha on one hand and Mary on the other. See, Martha cared more about service and Mary cared more about growth. Martha told Jesus what he should say and Mary listened for what Jesus would say. Martha had self-imposed responsibilities, and Mary had intentional relationship. Martha had every minute filled with little tasks, and Mary had margin for Jesus. And please don't misunderstand me here. I'm not trying to criticize or judge Martha any more than Jesus is. I am a total Martha. Okay, I am that person that likes to fill everything with stuff and do all sorts of things. But Jesus draws this contrast between the one woman who is seeking to live up to everything that's expected of her and the other who has found something so much better that is so much more important in the long run. Does Jesus not value a good meal? Of course he does. He's enjoyed several. He's been at many banquets Jesus even made meals himself for his disciples. The problem is not so much with what Martha is doing. The problem is with the motivations and the priorities that are involved here. What Martha is doing is not wrong, but it's also not what's best right now. Think about it. 
Jesus is in her living room, and she has spent the whole day in the kitchen. Jesus, and he wasn't there all the time, by the way. He was passing through on his way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus, the the word that's used for Jesus throughout this story here, the word that they actually referred to him with was, was not just a casual word. It was a word for Lord or Master. In other words, in this household, they were referring to Jesus by this really high title. They had utmost respect for Jesus. And there he is in the living room, and Martha's in the kitchen all day. Instead of actually wanting to be close to him and spend time with him. And so she's busy and distracted and worried by all the little details that in the big picture don't really matter that much. It's not that they don't matter at all, but compared to what is right there available to her, the opportunity that she has, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. So perhaps a better option for Martha would have been to just sit down next to Mary and say, well, he's here. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to learn, and I want to be taught. So we're just going to order a pizza, and that's, that's good. Or maybe if they didn't have any pizza places, she could say, you know what, guys? With Jesus here, I would normally do a big meal, but he's teaching, and I just want to learn from him. And so if it's all right with you, I'm not going to make the eight other side dishes I was going to make. And I'm just going to say, everybody cool with that? I'm just going to sit here and we'll just have something simple for dinner. See, that's probably what Martha should have done. There are two applications that I hope you walk away with today. Two things. The first one is that spending time with people matters more than serving them. Spending time with people matters more than serving them. And I know for some of us this is really hard. Because we're servers or we're task-oriented people. And we would so much rather be doing something for a person than actually having to, you know, move our lips and use our ears and engage with them in conversation. That can be a lot more awkward. But here's the secret about relationships. Relationships require time with. Talking and listening and asking questions and engaging with and simply being with. And that matters more than the perfect house or the perfect meal. And so sometimes you might need to order a pizza so that you can simply be with. There's a second thing I want you to take away from today. This is far more important. The second thing I want you to take away from today is that sitting at the feet of Jesus is the one thing worth being concerned about. It's the one thing. It's the most important thing you can do in your life. The one thing, your relationship with Jesus should come before everything else in your life, even being a good neighbor. In fact, if you really want to be a good neighbor, if you really want to be loving to your neighbors, then you really need to be tapped into the ultimate source of love. You need to be spending time with Jesus, growing in your relationship with him, every year growing more than you did the year before, every year a little bit more mature, a little bit wiser, a little more knowledgeable, a little more gracious. Growing and growing and growing every year. And I know it doesn't always look that way for us. But that should be our goal. I want to take you to Hebrews. Because I want to show you a group of people that were corrected a little bit on this very thing. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We don't know who exactly wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul. Some people think it was Barnabas. Some people have other theories about it. But whoever it was, they were writing to a group of believers, and here's what they say. 
There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Can you imagine if one of our missionaries sent us a newsletter and halfway through they said, there's a lot more I'd like to share with you, but you're so spiritually dull, I'm not even going to bother. That's kind of insulting, right? So whoever this individual was, they were extremely blunt. You're spiritually dull. You don't seem to listen. Verse 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And he means at a higher level, understanding what is right and what is wrong and some of the nuances that you really don't learn as a new believer, but as you grow and become more mature, you start to realize how many things you didn't understand early on. So how can we explain this? How can we visualize this? I want to show you a spiritual growth continuum on the screens. This is the spiritual growth continuum, spiritual journey. And we start with trusting Jesus. This is the moment when you're converted and you trust in Jesus and, and you're regenerated and you have a, a new, new heart and, and God opens you up so that you can see his glory and now you can live for him and you can actually do the things he wants you to do and have a relationship with him and you trust in him, and, and you know that you'll be with him when you die, that's that moment. But from that point on, you, you don't suddenly become perfect, right? You go through this journey. You go through this growth process where you become a spiritual infant. And as a spiritual infant, you are in Christ, but you lack understanding. Yes, you are a believer, but you don't know much yet. And eventually, you grow out of that. You grow into a time where you are a spiritual child. As a spiritual child, you are growing in Christ, but you're still very self-centered. I mean, let's be honest. After you become a believer and you start to grow and you start to learn more things, don't you start to realize all of the areas that you were selfish that you didn't know you were selfish in before? Like before it was just, well, I got to stand up for myself and, you know, I deserve that and, you know, this is the way it's got to be for me and I've got to make sure I negotiate and manipulate with other people. And then you start to realize as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and you become convicted, like, I am a selfish person. Wow. And even if it's not just the actions that I do, the thoughts that I have are so self-centered. And so as a spiritual child, you're growing in Christ, but you're still self-centered. And then eventually you grow to the point where you become a spiritual young adult. And as a spiritual young adult, you are Christ-centered and others-focused. This is a great thing. You're Christ-centered and you're focused on other people. But there's one more step one more journey in that, and that is becoming a spiritual adult. And as a spiritual adult, you're not just Christ-centered anymore, you're Christ-like. Not perfectly, not all the time, but you have grown so much over time. God has worked in your heart, the Holy Spirit has convicted you, you've learned from the Bible and from other things, you've learned how to live your life in such a way that, that Jesus and his love and his teachings are just infused into what you do. To the point where you, you, I mean, you know these people, you know these individuals where you've seen them, you're just like, wow, they are so godly. 
And they have such a, a walk with Jesus. And they're just, they're Christ-like. Not perfect by any means, but they are Christ-like. And the other part of that, as a spiritual adult, you are Christ-like and you are an intentional disciple-maker. I mean, you can do that all along this process. But when people get to the point where they are, they are really Christ-like a lot, and they have grown so much that they're a spiritual adult, they are, they are now, like, great at teaching and developing other people and, and showing other people how to have faith in Jesus and what that looks like and how to grow in that process. This is the, the journey, and it, it's kind of an arbitrary steps that we put in there, but this is the type of thing that the author in Hebrews is talking about here. What he's saying is that you people have been Christians for so long now that you should be spiritual adults, but you're still spiritual infants. You haven't grown beyond that point. Why not, he says, because you haven't invested the time to be trained, to be skilled, to be skilled in recognizing what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Oh, you know the basic things, but we have to teach you the basic things again because we can't even get into the higher things of understanding what is right and what is wrong in God's eyes. So how do we learn what is right and what is wrong? How do we grow in our maturity to continue along that journey? Where do we learn these things? Well, for us today, it's from the Bible. It's from God's Word. It's the message that Jesus has left for us so that we can learn from Him. And it's from spending time in prayer communicating with God, asking him for wisdom, asking him for guidance. It's from the Holy Spirit convicting us in our lives. And, and at one point in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And so when we're giving time in our life to sit down and pray and ask God to lead us and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and the Holy Spirit is convicting us and giving us guidance, we are at that moment sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, teach me, Lord. How do you want me to grow? What do you want me to learn? How can I move further on this journey toward becoming the spiritual adult that you want me to be? Knowing right and wrong, not just at the infant level, but at the adult level. That's what it's all about. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true. Now, he's gonna give us four things here. Four things that sound really redundant. So he says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful. And here are the four things. To teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Now I know that may sound very redundant to you, but it's actually not. If you look at the language, there are, there are distinct aspects of each of these phrases. And how many of you are visual learners? Do we have any visual learners in here today? Okay, you guys are gonna love this, okay? This is an illustration of what 2 Timothy 3.16 looks like if you make the distinction between those four phrases, okay? So teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong, correct us when we are wrong, and teach us to do what is right. Here it is. What's right? The next one is what's not right, then how do I get right, and how do I stay right? That's what those four things mean. Teaches us what is true, makes us realize what is wrong, corrects us when we are wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. There are four distinct aspects of that verse, and it is what's right, what's not right, how do I get right, how do I stay right? That's what Paul is saying the Bible teaches us how to do. And I want you to notice something about this. That is not a straight line. 
Paul is assuming here that we're going to have some mistakes that need correcting. He is assuming that we're going to do some things that are going to cause us to need to be corrected and then get back on the right track. And then how do we stay on the right track? And that's what he says the Bible is there for us. It's, it's not just a straight line. And so what I showed you earlier with the spiritual growth continuum, the Christian journey, it's not really straight like this. It's not really straight like this. It actually looks a little bit more like this. How many of you would say, yes, that's my spiritual journey? Maybe a few more loops in there. See, we grow and we make a mistake and we learn and we move beyond that. And we do that through reading the Bible and prayer and the Holy Spirit and other people who maybe are a little further along on that journey, showing us how to live and pointing us back to God's word and showing us truth that's in there. And here's the point that I'm trying to make for you. The the most important question that I could ask you today is not where are you at on that continuum? It's valuable to know, but that's not the most important question that I have for you. The most important question that I have for you is, are you moving forward? Are you growing? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you soaking in his teaching? Are you learning from him? Are you spending time investing in that relationship with him on a daily basis so that you are growing and learning and moving towards spiritual adulthood and not stuck as a spiritual infant? Does this year look better than last year? spiritually. Is next year going to look better than this year? It won't if you're not willing to put in the time to be with, to invest in that relationship with Jesus. Because if we're going to be good neighbors, if we're going to love our neighbors well, if we're going to be hospitable, and if we're going to devote ourselves to doing what Jesus said, to becoming experts at loving our neighbors, Jesus said it was the greatest commandment outside of loving God. If we're going to be experts at doing that, then we cannot forget that the one thing worth really being concerned about is to sit at the feet of Jesus and have that relationship with him and to grow with him, to seek his teaching, to let it soak into our hearts and minds and impact our thoughts and our actions so that our love for others, this is so important, our love for others cannot be based on obligation or guilt or shame Our love for others needs to come out of an overflow of the love that God is pouring into us. See, because what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, we've got a couple more weeks of this. Three more weeks, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to get practical. And if you just take those next couple of weeks here, and you take all those ideas, and you start to do all that stuff, you are going to get burnt out if you are not tapped into the source. You're going to do it, and you're going to get discouraged, and it's not always going to work all the same way all the same time. And you're going to start to get burnt out because you are pouring out your cup and you're not putting your cup back here to get filled up. And so nothing is filling you. Our love for our neighbors has to be an overflow of what Jesus is pouring into us. But we got to sit there and be willing to be filled. God, I want you to teach me. I want you to grow me. I want to walk closely with you, have a relationship with you so that I, as I reach out to other people, it is actually you flowing through me. And it's you that's energizing me and strengthening me to do this. So it's not in my power, but it's actually coming from him. How would our lives look different if we were to all do this every day? How would your life look different? And maybe you do this, but if not, how would your life look different if every day you said, I am going to invest in my relationship with Jesus today? I'm going to sit at his feet. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to close this in prayer now. And we don't have a closing song or anything, but after I close in prayer, If anything we've talked about today has impacted you, maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart. Maybe there's something he's convicted you about and and you're saying, wow, I understand this in a way I never did before. 
Or maybe it's something that you've known for a long time, but you've kind of forgotten over the years. We're going to have a prayer team up front who would love to hear how God is working in your life and pray for you before you leave today. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for what it teaches us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and how you continue to guide us. Thank you that you want to fill us up so that we can in turn pour out and fill others up and love them the way you have loved us. But Lord, help us to always be diligent in working on that relationship with you, being willing to spend time with you, not trying to do this in our own strength or our own power. This is so important, Lord, that we not get caught up in the serving aspect of this and neglect the relationship with you that has to be the foundation for that. And so God, as we go our separate ways today, for everybody that's in this room and everybody that's watching online, Lord, I pray that you would help them to walk closely with you, that you would prompt them, that you would remind them, help them to grow in their relationship so that as you love them and they love you, they can in turn love others as an outpouring of that relationship. I pray that you would bless them and watch over them as they go. In Jesus' name.